Want to learn how to see and share Jesus from all the scripture? Learn with us at the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. I'm Josh Redberg filling in for our regular host, Nate Aiken. I'm joined again on the podcast today by John Aiken and Jared Compton. So last week, we looked at the opening verses of Hebrews 2 and the warning to pay attention to the gospel. Today, we're going to look at the next set of verses, verses 5 through 9 in Hebrews 2, which really are an interpretation of Psalm 8 for us. So let me let me read it to begin. For he is not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. But someone somewhere has testified, what is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him lower than the angels for a short time. You crowned him with glory and honor and subjected everything under his feet. For in subjecting everything to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. As it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him, but we do see Jesus made lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Mm. So Jared, why don't we start with you? What's the main point the author's making in these verses? Yeah, the main point the author's making is suggesting that there is an unfulfilled expectation from Psalm 8. God promises in Psalm 8, and so far as I read this, that everything will be submitted underneath the feet of human beings. We don't see that, but what we do see now that we've read chapter 1, we do see a crowned son of man. We see one of us has been exalted up to glory, has entered the world to come, and that work that Jesus has done uh, through his death, verse 9 says, he was crowned, and now uh, Hebrews 2.10 will say he's leading us to the same glory. So two five to 9 is saying, how is this promise of Psalm 8 going to be fulfilled? And the author's answer is, it was through Jesus' sacrificial death. So, of course, his death is necessary. How else could humans be uh, receive the place that God had promised them? So, John, I wanted to go to the Old Testament since last week you refused to do it. I want to go to the Old Testament. So just to unpack Psalm 8 for us a little bit, because uh, as Jared said, it really is an explanation. How does this how is this working itself out? So how much would you get into Psalm 8 as a whole? Like, just help us. Help us understand what Psalm 8 is saying so that we understand this better. I, I think, first, it's hilarious that the author's like, yeah, somebody said this somewhere. <laughs> I love that phrase. Know, Someone so somewhere. You like, should do that when you preach. Be like, it's somewhere in there, it's guys. somewhere Come on. in there. Yeah, Just my, Google my it. Students, my students, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that answer on the test. But um, <laughs> I, That would be great. Like, just write in the, like, what reference, yeah. where did where did the Apostle Paul say there? And just write somewhere, somewhere. 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 Like, yes. How biblical is that? I, I would jump into a theology of humanity, most likely. Uh, preaching through this this passage. So I think that I would talk about Genesis 1 and man made in God's image and given dominion over, you know, fish of the sea, birds of the air, creeping things that crawl on the ground and and so forth and how that has been lost uh because man submitted to a creeping thing in Genesis chapter 3 and so now creation is in revolt against the the Lord of creation and and the, those who are to have dominion, 
and uh, and how Psalm eight, which is the psalmist is, I think Jared's point is 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 really helpful. That the, the psalmist is meditating on Genesis one, uh, obviously east of Eden, so so mm-hmm. post fall, and it's a prophecy of how this is going to be set right uh, mm. in the end, and and so then. And then um, this idea, you know, this this phrase, the son of Adam, the, the son of man uh, is all over the place. OK, so you have mm-hmm. then you have Daniel seven uh, where this son of man comes. And again, it's there's beasts coming up out of the sea. Right. Just this echo from Genesis mm-hmm. one uh, that are causing all this havoc and whatever. And then and the son of man is going to be exalted over them. And he's going to this kingdom is going to last forever. and those kind of things, and then Jesus, his his favorite title for himself was son of was son of man. Um, mm-hmm. And so I would just probably walk through that pretty quickly, uh, and just say, like, like, um, you know, it, it, I I would probably use something I've used before. I would use something like, I remember the mayor of uh, New Orleans at post Katrina was just like, you know, um, this is just another reminder to us that we can't control nature. And, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, yeah, that's true uh, east of Eden, but that's not the way it always was. And that's not the way it always will be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so and so because of Christ, um, you know, Christ is the fulfillment of this and he, he's reestablished dominion. Uh, and, and, then, and then the whole already not yet thing of like, no, we don't see the fullness of all this yet, but we do see him. He's, he's mm-hmm. tasted death. He's been raised from the dead. He's, he's crowned. Uh, and so that's where we see these things by faith at this point. Mm. So Jared, I'd love to ask you this question since this is, you know, just the second time you've been on the podcast with us. I can imagine someone maybe who's a little more skeptical or uncertain about Christ-centered preaching, particularly from the Old Testament, seeing a passage like this, looking at Psalm 8, maybe they're going to preach Psalm 8 and they say, well, is Psalm 8 about us or is it about Jesus? So and, and a student raises their question in your class and asks that question, yeah. how do you respond so, to that? And you heard John and I, I think, are on the same page. So I feel like we're two are agreed. There the matter is settled. <laughs> I, mean, so, um, I think uh, the psalm is a reflection on creation. And creation, we're talking about human beings. Um, but there is a particular human being, the best of us, mm who we just read about in Hebrews chapter 1, who has had the uh, promise of Psalm 8 fulfilled for him. He's been, he's been crowned with glory and honor. So it's about humans, but it's also about the representative human, our pioneer, Jesus, who did what we couldn't do. That's why I think the language of 2.9 is so important. He was crowned with glory and honor because he suffered. So how could we get to glory and honor? Hebrews tells us it was only through the suffering of this representative. So it's about all of us. And we don't see, like John said, we don't see this extraordinary, unimaginable promise fulfilled now where everything will be crowned with such glory and honor. We'll have everything so peacefully placed under our feet in such a world of shalom. We don't see that now, but we do see Jesus Christ ground. And then, of course, the author is going to go on and say he's leading many sons and daughters to that same glory. 
uh, same word in 2.10 that you find anticipated in Psalm 8 and used of Jesus here in uh, Hebrews 2. So it's talking, is it talking about Jesus or humans? Yes. It's talking about all of us. And Jesus is the representative human, but it doesn't get exhausted on Jesus. Jesus is our representative. He goes there ahead of us, but not instead of us. We're, we're all going to go. I love that phrase. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Not ahead of us instead of us. That's good. So, John, I'm, my goal is to get you riled up. <laughs> but the initial, the initial readers never would have thought about this being Jesus. So how can it really be about him? Psalm 8. Yeah, if somebody said that to me, I'd say, how do you know? I mean, like seriously, because the 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 it's clear it's clear that um, at least Peter. Now he spent a lot of time with Jesus, but Peter is taking the Psalm, like Psalm sixteen at Pentecost, and he's taking it as a prophecy about Jesus. Okay, and so it's so it's mm-hmm. clear that there, at least in some sectors of of Jewish thought and piety, they they did make links between the Psalter and a future Messiah who is going to be the fulfillment of, of like, so, so for, I'll, I'll just do this real quick. Cause I, yeah, you, you can get me riled up. So I would just say one, <laughs> Peter is very clear that they knew more than we think that they did. Uh, and, and a lot more than, than a lot of evangelical yeah. scholars give them credit for. And so, mm-hmm. um, and, and so what's clear, I think Selhammer's uh, points on this are, are really helpful in terms of the way that the the uh, Tanakh was put together, that you have at the seams when you when you transition from Torah to prophets, you have Joshua one, and you have this figure who is Joshua, this leader, who is told to meditate on the Torah day and night, not to depart from it, and if he does, then he's going to be successful in 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 reclaiming. Canaan for uh, for God's people, and then you have Psalms one and two that mm-hmm. are a unit, not separated mm-hmm. by a superscript, right? That um, presents a man who meditates on the Torah day and night, and then who scatters the evil. You know, he 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 drives away the wicked, and he's established in Zion, and um, and so it's I think it's pretty clear. Like even from Selhammer's argument. The way that the Old Testament was put together, we think under the inspiration of the Spirit, even the way it was put together, it was with this hope in mind of a ruling figure who is faithful to Scripture and who is a warrior king who's going to establish the kingdom of God. And so, mm-hmm. so that's, I mean, that's just there. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I would, I would just, I would just argue with anybody and just say, how do you know? And to follow up, on John, what John said, that warrior king. So, 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 of course, there were some uh, many people within early Judaism who, yeah, they were looking for a Messiah to come. He's already talked about that Messiah in chapter one, and now he's just mm-hmm. saying that Messiah who you expected is sol- solves a problem that you saw. The problem is mm-hmm. Psalm eight promises me something. I don't know how that's going to come about. There's a yeah. warrior king. I don't think it would have been a huge step for him to say that thing you expected solves this problem you recognized. Even if we say Psalm 8 isn't technically a uh, prophecy about Jesus, it has a Jesus-shaped hole in it. How are we going to get there? Mm. And Jesus fills that. And again, if you had an expectation of a coming warrior king, 
with a Davidic covenant, a Psalm 2, you know, you can list it out, then I, I don't think it would have been a big step. I, I think too. I like that. I like the August, I like the Augustine quote resurfaced. Like every passage has a Jesus shape, a hole that only Jesus can fill. Something like that, I think. It's good. You, I love it. You know, work on that. That could be your next book. I, I do think to Jared's point, and, and Jim Hamilton and I have talked about this before, the same the same thing is true with Psalm 16, and, and, and Peter's doing this at Pentecost. He's like, David, how can David say in Psalm 16 that he's not going to see decay? So there's yeah. a there's a problem, and then Jesus is the solution to that problem. Like, And so that's yeah. that's why Peter's able to say this was talking about him, yeah, uh, because he is the solution to the problem. One, one more note, just because I love this too, John, I'm in on this topic. I think this is a good example, Psalm 8, of I think this would be problematic to simply read as just about Jesus, just a prophecy about Jesus. He's the only one. I, I think Psalm 16 and Peter's use of Psalm 16, sometimes people go there and they think, oh, the Psalter is just about Jesus. It's just prophetic about him alone. He's the voice in every Psalm, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think Psalm 8 is suggesting that can't be true because if this terminates only on Jesus, then the vision of Psalm 8 goes unfulfilled. It's got to be more than Jesus. It's got to be broader. It's got to reach a humanity beyond the one son of man. It's got to reach the sons of men. So we, yeah. we have to be nimble in our Christocentric, Christotelic reading of the Bible so that it's not a flat-footed, uh, Jesus-only referent-type reading of the Bible. I think that is, uh, it doesn't do service to what Hebrews is doing here. Yeah. And there's some scholars who are writing on this passage, Hebrew two, Hebrews two, see it as only talking about Jesus, yeah. which I think misses the hope of the passage, that it's 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 saying this is humanity, but Jesus leads leads us into it. Mm -hmm. So how does this hope or how does this passage give hope to Christians? They're coming in on a Sunday, they're beat down, they're worried, they're worn out, mm. they're just struggling. I think this is a passage with such tremendous hope. How would you use it? Um, Jared, once you start first, how would you use this to give hope to Christians that are sitting there on a Sunday? Yeah, there is such a an extraordinary future promised to God's people. And I think one of the things you do is you tell your people it is right for you to lament, for you to mm -hmm. feel sad, uh, for you to wonder how long, O oh Lord, there is something not right with this world. Everyone feels that you are right to feel it because it's true. It's not the way it should be. So you're you're entering into their lives and you're affirming that sense that things are incongruous with what they want and what they hope for. Settle in there, really enter in, lament with your people, followed mm -hmm. by the fact that we've got a risen son of man guarantees that how things are won't be how they forever will be. So Jesus underscores the uh, surety of our hope that this world will be made new. It will be shaken, Hebrews 12 says, and what remains will be what you want. Pure shalom, pure goodness and mercy and beauty and truth 
Um, so kind of sit, sitting with it, your people in the this isn't how it should be-ness of the world, and then reminding them this isn't how it will forever be, both of those things. I think we sit with our people yeah. in. Jared, what you said there reminds me, I found this quote when I was preaching on this from Randy Alcorn, where he says, every joy on earth, including the joy of reunion, is an inkling, a whisper of greater joy. Mm -hmm. The Grand Canyon, the Alps, the Amazon rainforest, the Serengeti Plain, these are rough sketches of the new earth. All our lives have been dreaming of the new earth. Whenever we see beauty in water, wind, flower, deer, man, woman, or child, we catch a glimpse of heaven. Just like the Garden of Eden, the new earth will be a place of sensory delight, breathtaking beauty, satisfying relationships, and personal joy. And I think that comes out from this, this passage. It's beautiful. John, how would you use this to encourage some suffering Christians that are there on a Sunday? Yeah, I, I mean, I would frame it just like Jared did. I mean, not as eloquently, but um, I would definitely, <laughs> I would frame it. What I would, what I would do is, is also, again, with this whole idea of, of them drifting away, one of the things I use pass, a passage like this to do with people is when they're struggling with Christianity that doesn't seem to be working the way that I thought it would. And so because, you know, my mm. life's not, mm. my marriage is not, my family is not, my mm. whatever is not what I was hoping it would be, what I thought it should be. And, and then just to walk through, like I've, I had to walk through like at Christian schools where a football player, you know, has a neck injury and can't walk and mm. students do prayer vigils. And it's like, why is God not healing him? Like, why is this happening? Why, you know, and just to have to walk through like, um, yeah, even though you don't think Christianity is working, it is. Um, and it's yeah. not always going to be like this. There is so that, that the whole point here is he tasted death. He tasted death for us. And then he was vindicated on the other mm. side and mm. we will be vindicated in yeah. Christ as well. It may take longer than three days, but so we don't see things as they're going to be, but we do see Christ. He's, he's been crowned. And, and so that's what we hold on to that. It's not always going to be like this. And so I, I would probably walk through some of that of just like, Hey, if it doesn't feel like it's working, like you think it should, it is, this is, this is what the Christian faith, uh, you know, this is what the Christian journey is all about. And added to that, letting uh, even unbelievers know you realize the world isn't how it's supposed to be. And mm -hmm. friends, the only way it will ever be like you want it to, there's only one way. It's the son of man who's died and risen. There's no, we, 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 we see Jesus. It doesn't say we see human progress. We see technological advance. We see the extension of life indeterminately. It says we mm -hmm. see Jesus. If you want hope, for a broken world, mm. Hebrews is saying there's only one way. It's such a good way, but it's the only one. So that sense mm. you have that things aren't how they should be, there is a solution, but it's a very specific one. And so I'd commend it yeah. again, commending it to unbelievers. Yeah. Listen, you want this. Open your heart, open your eyes, look to Jesus. I love that connection to technology. I hadn't thought of that. I think that's a that's a great application because so often today we think the next thing will make us closer to, to the promise of Psalm 8, mm. and it, it never does. John, how about the prosperity gospel? How might that, this be a passage that addresses that error? Yeah, I think you just you point out that the one who was—and he's going to go on um, 
you know, to, to talk about a Jesus made perfect through suffering and all those things that we'll deal with next time. But that Jesus, as Jared said earlier, is the, is the you know, preeminent representative of humanity. And um, as far as we can tell, he had no riches. He didn't have a long life. Yeah. Uh, by human standard, you know, um, he, so he was a colossal failure in the eyes of the prosperity gospel. And yet he, yeah. the Bible says he's the one who's been crowned. And so I would just, mm. I would just walk through with them. Like the, the, the guy who is the Lord of your faith, <laughs> uh, absolutely destroys your own theology. <laughs> yeah. Mm. No, that's good. I'd encourage anyone listening. This would be a great week to spend some extra time reading Psalm 8. And then this section from Hebrews 2, uh, use it as an opportunity to pay attention to the gospel, as we heard uh, earlier in chapter 2. Well, thank you for listening to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. Join us again next week as we finish chapter 2, and we see how the work of Jesus makes us his brothers and sisters. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. If you have questions, topics, or texts that you'd like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at podcast at ChristCenteredAndClear.com. And please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources that will help you see and share Jesus from all of Scripture. Scripture.